0: Tonight's very unusual for us, it's probably maybe twice a year we do this, which is instead of a prepared uh, reflection slash talk, the evening's going to be open to any of your questions. And if you didn't come with one, you might start considering right now if there's anything about the meditation practices we do or some of the teachings that are the context for them, that you're curious about, or confused about, or just want to have a better understanding of. So what we'll be doing is um, inviting you to come up to the mics, and I really hope those of you that are the types that never talk in large groups and you know are very shy, I, I just play your edge, because I'd love to feel it, you know, just to invite you to to, sp- to come up and ask a question. So that'll be the format for tonight. If it turns out we have time, then I'll be um, closing with a loving-kindness meditation and actually invite any questions or sharing you have about that. But it may be that we have um, a lot of questions, so I wanted to just leave it open-ended to you. With that, uh, the invitation is for anybody that feels so inclined to begin. Um, Just, you can just come right up to the mics, and if somebody else is at one mic and you know you're going to want to ask a question, just start, just come to the other one so we can uh, just kind of move back and forth. So now we're going to go into silence until (laughs) somebody. (laughs) Hi. My question is, um, you talked a little bit about embodiment a couple weeks ago, and I'm wondering the relative importance or component of embodiment versus self transcendence when it comes to meditation. So don't sit down yet, because I I very often, just to get more clarity. So you're wondering about the the relative importance of embodiment, being awake inside our bodies, and self-transcendence. And could you say a little bit more of what you mean by that? One of the definitions that I've heard of spirituality is self-transcendence, or becoming a part of something larger. And that's something that I've experienced in meditation. But there's also like a coming back to the senses. So I guess I'm I'm wondering sort of like what's
1: mm-hmm. what's
0: more important. Okay, that it's a, it's a really good question. Stay put in case okay. you have a follow up because <laughs> sometimes I I may not kind of get at what you're saying. Um, Self-transcendence, in my understanding, means that we're waking up out of any story or narrative about a limited separate self. And I found that the most powerful gateway to waking up out of that story is through embodiment and in through waking the senses up. In fact, when we were meditating tonight, and at the moments I'd say, just receive the moment through the senses, This whole world was just a vibrating sound and sensations, and there was no solidified notion of a self. So in those moments, that's what I would call self-transcendence. So I don't think of it as relative importance, more as the embodied presence is a gateway to that freedom. Does that make sense?
2: I love that. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It's a, it's a beautiful question. And also one that a lot of people have a misunderstanding of is if we're supposed to be waking up out of our body. Like we're supposed to have some transcendental experience that no longer has a sense of the aliveness that's here. And that's, you know, it's, it's, we are made of aliveness and awareness. So we're not trying to get away from it. So it's really through this aliveness that we experience wholeness. Yeah, so thank you again. And hi? Hi, I'm Ellen. And first, I just want to tell you how grateful I am that you provide this opportunity for me. Um,
1: And I guess everyone feels the same way. It's so inspiring and um, helps me grow tremendously. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know if you were comfortable um, talking about what Helped you to get
0: to be Tara. That's sitting right there, and that wrote the book, and that does that is who you are. What what happened? What about your life, or your history, or your journey? Um, would you? Are you comfortable sharing for the rest of the night? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty big and open-ended. I will say something that links to the last question is that everything has kept coming back to ways of paying attention that have loosened the sense of a Tara self. You know, it's like so that there is a a sense of belonging to aliveness and to others and earth and so on without so much of a narrative going on. So that is one a beginning way to get at that but to be much more less much less lofty (laughs) suffering (laughs) you know like everybody else it's uh, um, you know I've continually encountered all the conditioning to try to control things and grab onto things and not like things and not like the self that seems to not be liking things and all that stuff and um, somewhere, probably in my early 20s, it became really clear that the only way to have more freedom was by just really feeling all that in a very direct way, not using what I call false refuges. And, and I'll just, just to give that word a little more meaning. Um, for me, my false refuges were to try to constantly prove myself in some way. Like, it's always going for um, trying to get approval or y- accomplish something or um, be somebody. And um, also all the addictive stuff, overeating. I mean, all, I had a ton of them. And bit by bit, it wasn't like I swore off a false refuge, but more kept on choosing to deepen attention. So I give huge um, bow to a path of practice, where there is, whether it's formal, you know, dedicated, I'm going to sit every day for 45 minutes, or the informal mindfulness, where we're training our minds to notice what's going on. So that, it was really that. It's just exactly what we're doing together here. The last piece I'll say is what's made probably the biggest difference over time for me is I have gotten much kinder to myself. Mm. That the reason I wrote Radical Acceptance is because I suffered from, you know, this chronic sense of not enough. Like, if I did a hand raise, I'm sure I wouldn't be, I'd be in good company. We, We have that. And, um... I committed uh, myself, and this again was in my 20s, to softening to myself. Mm-hmm. And that's made a big difference. So th- thank you for your questions. I, like, you. I, I feel when you invite me, and in, I guess I, I get to feel more a part of it. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I'm puzzled or bothered by a contradiction between radical acceptance, which I find very calming, And on the other hand, uh, the desire to change some things, which it seems to me uh, remains appropriate, and I don't want to give up entirely.
0: So you're juxtaposing radical acceptance with that there's still a desire to change things, and you don't want to give that up. Right. Yeah. Well, me too. I mean, I I have a desire to change things too. And radical acceptance means accepting that desire to change things. And the desire to... you know, I'm not trying to be clever, really. The desire to change things itself is not um, necessarily an obstacle or ignorant. It can come out of um, a very sincere place in us that recognizes what's causing suffering you know where we see what the kind of devastation that that industries are doing to this earth and that we're doing with our habit patterns to this earth well I would suspect there's a lot of us here that have a passionate Mm -hmm. desire to see um, through you know legislation and through behavior of, of industries and individuals that we take care of our earth So that's passionate and deep. And radical acceptance does not mean that we don't have that. What radical acceptance means, and this is to me really powerful and central, is that we can unconditionally accept the experience that's going on in this moment. That if I am paying attention right now to... um, the debates and I'm feeling a, a sinking sense of wow, there's not really a commitment to our earth, or there's not really the kind of commitment to peace that's really going to make a difference. You know, if I feel that, then it's opening to that sense of discouragement or despair or sadness in in my heart, in this moment that's radical acceptance. And if I open to it, then the urge to act and change is coming from a much more intelligent and awake place. So the idea is, accept the experience of the moment and then have your life lived out of that acceptance, including our efforts to transform uh, the world around us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
1: Uh, Hi, Tara. You know, I have a metta practice, or sometimes I practice metta and i find that the most difficult thing sometimes is to feel meta towards myself mm-hmm. and to you know extend to to myself the kind of loving kindness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know is sometimes easier to extend towards other people and there's always the sense of self criticism and th- that I, I you know i come to think is the largest impediment sometimes mm-hmm. to living a less separate, a more fuller existence in some way. Mm -hmm. And I I know a lot of what we talk about is is that kind of thing, but I was wondering if if you might be able to talk a little bit about, you know, more specifically about how to overcome that Mm -hmm. difficulty in extending to yourself the loving-kindness that we also try to extend to others.
0: So, uh, and please stay, for, stay by the mic so I, if I can ask you um, back because I think it's a wonderful question. It's one of the most important is how do we really, if we're saying, you know, that we're trying to cultivate these two wings of, of presence and one wing is to see what's true and the other is to hold it with love, we have to be able to do that with this, this body-mind being we call self. And so and what you're saying is when you try to do that, when you try to offer a caring presence to yourself, that's the hardest place. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, which is, has there been anything or any times that you find that something has helped you in regarding yourself with, uh, with more care? Are there any circumstances that do help?
1: Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, like you were saying, it's frequently external you know it's sure. somebody gives you approval or you mm-hmm. win something or you know you get a pat on the back but uh, you know and and that kind of thing is frequently where the you know impetus for that mm-hmm. comes from but mm-hmm. it's so much more difficult uh, you know without that kind of external thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're um, accurately noting that usually the surge is somewhat more like of an ego inflation where we temporarily feel relieved that we're not bad <laughs> or we feel, you know, all right, I'm okay for now. But the way that that comes to you actually is important because there is a power in doing... Uh, the metta is another a description of the loving-kindness practice And one of the words for metta is friendliness. So it has both friendliness and loving-kindness. And the way that metta, or loving-kindness, is aroused is by seeing goodness. So the reflection really is, can you begin to look at your own being and see your own goodness? And, And that for many of us is hard. So there are skillful means, which means pathways to that that are less direct. And one of them is often by looking through the eyes of somebody else that you trust and care about at yourself as if you're that person and I've asked that person the question, well, what are you, looking through your eyes, what do you see? You know, so that's one way is to let somebody else's um, appreciation of you inform you and to actually, um, and you, you, just for a moment, you all might just um, close your eyes and check this out. Just try it out, see what happens. Because it's so important, we'll just do a brief exercise. So feel that right now your intention is to offer your own being loving-kindness, and we're going to explore some of the pathways on how that's possible. And so, as I mentioned, One is to just begin to reflect on the qualities about yourself that you appreciate. So begin by trying that out. Just sense, well, um, I have an appreciation of beauty, our nature. I'm just going to name a few that come to mind that some of us can say, well, yeah, that's true. And I have a sense of humor. And I do care about people. And there's a sense of aliveness, of enjoying, feeling alive. And I can be generous. So you, you kind of move like that. You just start noticing, okay, there's, here are the, some qualities of goodness. I want to know truth. Truth matters. I'm honest. I try to be helpful to people. So you just keep going like that. And let's say there's a part of you that's going, yeah, but there's always something that comes my way for it. There's always a selfish motive, because we, we often undermine our, ourselves that way. Then explore bringing to mind someone that you really do trust, sees you, and cares about you. In other words, they get you, and they care about you. And it might be somebody that you know very well Or it might be somebody that you don't know so well but you think there's a lot of wisdom in that person and kindness and and you kind of trust that they can see behind the mask and see the goodness. Experiment looking through that person's eyes. This takes a little bit of mental agility but it's doable if you practice some. What does that person see? Does that person see your sincerity and that you care about waking up and growing, your good heart? It can help to imagine that person looking at you with appreciation and care, just imagine those eyes are looking at you and valuing you, caring about you. And you might, if you'd like to experiment, put your hand on your own heart and sense their energy, their care, their appreciation, just as an energetic, very real energetic kind of force that just kind of enters through your hand into your heart. So you start being bathed by that sense of another person's appreciation of you. And see if you can agree to let it in a little. And then just to try to sense, well, what is the wish you'd like to offer to yourself? Maybe the wish you'd like to offer yourself is, May I trust myself more. May I be kinder to myself. May I hold this life with compassion. May I be forgiving. So sense what you'd like to wish for yourself and just let the touch, you might even feel the touch is very tender, that 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 wish is coming through your hand into your heart. May I move through life with the intention to be kind to myself and others. This is the heart of the loving-kindness practice, that we begin to find a way to offer care to the life that's right here. And the way the door opens as a way to close this exercise is simply with your intention. If even in this little exercise, you feel your intention to be kinder, that cracks the door open in a profound way. So I thank you for your question. It gave us a, uh, an excuse to have a little bit of that flavor of loving kindness in the room. So that was fun. Yeah. So anyone else right now for questions?
1: Yeah. Hi. As somebody relatively new to meditation, this okay. is a very basic technical question. Huh. But I'm wondering if you could comment on different... Techniques for staying awake during the guided meditation.
0: Are you falling asleep during my meditation?
1: I did. I did. <laughs> that hypnotic
0: kind of. <laughs> it's actually, um, it's basic and really an important question. Uh, You know, in in Buddhist uh, meditation teachings, there are five energies that are considered to be universal and that we all encounter at different times, you know, all of us. And one of them is that when we're sitting, there's something in us that is wanting something different, or I want food, or I want to leave, or, you know, I want to, you know, go fantasize. So there's that kind of grasping mind. And then there's a part of us, the aversive mind, that's saying, I don't like this my body's uncomfortable, when is this going to end, you know, that kind of thing. That's the aversive, the aversive mind. Then there's the part of us, and um, this is coming to your question, that that's, has to do with sleepiness, kind of a, a heaviness. It's called sloth and torpor. <laughs> you know, like a sloth. And um, it's a, it's a heavy energy, because it, because here you have your meditation coach up front saying, experience the wakefulness of your, you know, and, and you're sitting there, you know. <laughs> So that's, that's the third. And then the other two are restlessness. I'm sure some of you know what it's like just to feel like you're going to explode. You just need to move to do something. And then the fifth is doubt, which is considered the most paralyzing. Because if you have doubt, which is like, I'm not really cut out for this, or this isn't cut out for me, or whatever it is, it it stops you from making the effort how to work with these things. And there's always two levels of how you work with any of these challenges. And one of the levels is that there are kind of skillful ways you can, um, kind of antidotes. So with sleepiness, you sit up a little taller, open your eyes, there's no law that says you have to meditate with your eyes closed, okay? Really, I mean, think of it. Most of our day our eyes are open. If we only had a training to be meditative with our eyes closed, that would be a real shame. We'd miss out on huge swaths of moments, right? So, so open your eyes, sit up taller. You can stand up. If you come to any of our retreats, you'll notice that at any given sitting, some people are standing because you can get more energy that way. Okay? Take a few full breaths. Sometimes listening to sound alerts and refreshes the mind more than the breath, which can be much more tranquilizing. So those are examples of tricks that are skillful. More important is not to make it wrong. If you are finding yourself lulled and kind of soporific during a guided meditation, radical acceptance, just, oh, It's like this right now. It's just another weather system. Right now it's kind of balmy and sleepy. Another time it's kind of windy and agitated. Another time it's whatever. So let it be a weather system. You know, kind of just name it, okay, sleepy and bow to it, okay, this is how it is. And get curious. If you're curious about it, like what is sleepiness like? And even though the mind's not that alert to investigate with precision, you might sense, okay, kind of fuzzy and heavy here. For me, there's kind of a pressure or a weight on my chest usually when I'm sleepy. Just start noticing that. If you really pay attention, you might notice that you've added something to sleepiness, which is, I shouldn't be sleepy. Be mindful of that, because the only suffering that comes in meditation is when we say it shouldn't be like this. So I'm looking at you, but I'm really speaking to all of us, that um, it's just one of the universal energies not to make it wrong. Mindfulness, non-judgment, a few little skillful means to do what you can and let it go. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. It was a good question. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about dealing with small children, with the Four Noble Truths, and like when you you have a child that you know could benefit from a little bit of detachment, and what kind of uh, vocabulary you would use, and and things like that. Just a little bit of help. Yeah, so this question about um, how to bring some of the basic principles to our children is Probably too big for me to even do justice with a few words, but what uh, more I can point to some resources. Uh, what age are we talking? Uh, kindergarten, first grade. Yeah. Um, check uh, check the IMCW website for the family programs and for there's there's a few different ones. One in Arlington, one here in Bethesda. And the teachers that are working with the children are wonderful at giving metaphors and stories that actually convey just what you're talking about, the, uh, that there's so much more happiness when we're not, you know, lost in our weather system and, you know, that kind of thing. So check that out. Thich Nhat has a beautiful book on meditating with children and I'm free, I think it has the word seeds in it, if anybody here knows it. It just came out recently. It's really lovely. And um, more what I would say is it's how we are. That it's way more important that um, we are um, able to find a place of not being overly reactive, of having some space, some perspective, than whatever we convey to them. Because that's that's what we're really conveying is our own energy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Hi, Tara. I was interested to hear you call torpor an energy. And um, <laughs> because honestly, I completely get the grasping and aversion causing suffering. But at least to me, those have an energy to them and there's something I can work with. I honestly feel personally, m- my suffering is mostly. I'm bored. I, I'm I'm heavy. I, I have torpor, mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem to have any energy. So, and it's not that I'm falling asleep when I'm meditating. In fact, I don't really sleep all that well. But yeah, yeah just a lack of engagement. And yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anything? Sure. To do for I th- that? It's,
0: I, I'm glad you're drilling down a little more because there's a lot we we could explore about these um, universal forces. Um, So, if you consider sloth and torpor or sleepiness, and you say, well, what makes me sleepy? You know, and one reason might be, we've just been working hard and we're tired. And that's just, you just say, okay, well that's it, you know, I'm tired, and you take, you find time to sleep. Another reason is that sometimes Um, we come to meditate and it's quiet and we're still and we're so in the habit of being go, go, go and here's a quiet, peaceful room and there's some part of us that goes, oh, it's quiet in here, it must be bedtime, (laughs) you know? So there's this this kind of reflex to kind of... That's a second reason. A third reason, and this is where I'm going with this, is that often um, sleepiness is a way of, of covering over something we don't want to have more contact with, something that's raw. And that's why a lot of times people, depression, it's, a, it's, it's actually a psychic energy that is pushing us down some, is kind of, kind of shoving under uh, the parts of our psyche that we really don't want to experience. That's when it gets a little interesting you know, and, and, and boredom has a little bit of a different energy it's it's kind of a, a restlessness that's got a version under it where there's something, it's like we don't want to be present we don't want to be with what's right here so there's this kind of restlessness It's trying to find something more, something's missing you know, it's kind of trying to find something else because now is not enough, there's a sense of not enough. So the invitation is to take whatever version is presenting for you, because I'm sensing that you can feel in it, there's something in it that wants attention. Deepen your attention and and sense how it feels in your body. Sense, if, if you gave that energy a voice, you know, what is it believing? Sense what that place in you needs or wants. Like, just keep inquiring. This is not a, um, it's not an intellectual investigation, it's a felt sense investigation, do you know what I mean by that?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. That And that's definitely an, an issue for me, I'm very conceptual and analytical, and um, so this is definitely emotional, and... It's uh, definitely a what? An emo- an emotional kind of thing, or maybe even a lack of emotion, but... Um,
0: or a covering over of, it's uh, it's your way of moving away from emotion?
2: I, I guess, it eludes. It analysis. So...
0: Which is good. <laughs> we want it to elude analysis. So what I'd like to invite you to do is explore it in a, an embodied way. In other words, feel how it feels in your body. And you can ask it questions like, what are you wanting, what are you needing? But keep coming back for the response in your body, which means neck down. Okay. And let me know what you find. Okay. I'll try. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Yeah. Hi. Hey there. Lately, I've been uh, setting intentions when I wake up in the morning. Sometimes it's really small, little, tiny intention, and sometimes it's something really huge that's been bothering me. But sometimes I sit down and I, I just can't focus on what would be the intention for now. And sometimes there's just so many. I'm like, well, what, let's see what I have set an intention and meditate for 15 minutes and then would I set the next one and you know like sometimes there's just so many things that I want to I've realized meditation solves so many things. What I'm hearing is your question is what is a good way of reflecting on intention when there just seems to be too many and it's kind of scattered and One of the things I found about intentions is that they're very, very layered. And so there's a whole superficial level, like imagine an ocean with a lot of waves, and some of the waves are are really wanting, you know, I want to get a lot done today, that's my intention, you know. The depth of the intention, how deep it is, comes out of presence. So if you notice there's a mess of them kind of all on the surface, that's an invitation to you might let go of the inquiry about intention for just a bit and just say, let me get more here. And let your breath calm you down, you know, slow, long breath, kind of bring your energies really into your body. Just feel yourself right here so your senses are awake, and then ask again and ask it with with the kind of interest that's like, so what really matters to me? You know, what what is it, you know, and sometimes, also, you know, at the end of your life looking back or, you know, what, what would have mattered about this moment or this sitting or this day? So you get sincere. Mm-hmm. And the sign of having tapped into a deep intention is sincerity. You'll feel, it's a felt shift in the body. And I sometimes consider it's kind of like innocence. You, you just feel very clean with it. And that's a different kind of intention than the multiple intentions that are hanging out on the surface. Then you've dropped into the the oceanness of being and you sense the deep longing. And I, for me, intention always has to do with some quality of presence. It may be that there's a direction of that presence. I want to bring presence to this relationship or this project. but. Intention always has to do with coming home to presence in some way. Hmm, yeah. So I hope those are tips that help. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. You sort of have to set your intention to figure out what your intention is. You're exactly right. <laughs> Actually, it is very circular. You have to be present enough to remember that presence matters. And when you remember that presence matters, then you become more present. So it is hmm. definitely a looping. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
2: Hi there, Tar. Hi. Um, well, first of all, I've been coming uh, off and on here for uh, for a few years now, and I also read your book. The experience really has been transformative for me. I've been meaning to thank you for a long time, so I wanted to thank you for that.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um,
2: my question is, uh, I'm kind of curious with someone like yourself that is so practiced in meditation. You know, what is your experience when you're meditating? When not maybe in this environment, but when you're at home in a quiet place and you're meditating, I'm, I'm curious to hear. What your experience is like mm-hmm. what 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 maybe i'm trying to evolve to eventually i, I know we shouldn't i know, I know that we shouldn't uh, be trying to strive for something um but but i'm just curious to understand what someone like your experience is
0: <laughs> I, i'm here um, my computation is how much confessional I, <laughs> um Yeah, because I I felt my discomfort of, you know, that I'm on some other uh, level, because, you know, I've done it for a long time, and I, I still work with the same five that I just named, you know, where I get restless sometimes, or sleepy, or wanting something more, you know, so, the, um, so there's a real range in my experience. Some days there's a lot more of becoming the quietness, just stillness, openness. Um, so there really is very little identification with a narrative. And often it takes um, some time. It's not like there's, you know, I'll find, I'll find as time goes on that, oh, I didn't realize I was living inside that story. So 10, 15 minutes and it's really, and then, oh, that's right stillness, you know. So, so there's a settling process that is pretty much happens every day. And I use different um, pathways to arrive in stillness. Sometimes I will collect around, you know, just as we do here, just, you know, relaxing through the body and waking up through the body, sometimes listening to sound, sometimes qigong through moving, you know, so there's different practices. But the abiding components that are always there is that there's um, an intention simply to let go of all doing and that's a key thing because for many years I had all these different techniques but, and I could engineer myself to fairly tranquil concentrated open states but they were somewhat manufactured by the technique And the shift that's happened in recent years is that at some point the doing drops away. So there's a much more spontaneous, natural kind of awareness that emerges from that and more trust in that. And and what I found in working with people is that it takes some intention to wean ourselves from our practice, our formal practice. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we use it with a light touch you know, use the concentration on the breath, or use the... Okay, now I'm going to listen to sound, now I'm going to sweep through the body, now I'm going to do metta, but then let it go. And let... if there's an intention, it's purely to rest in beingness, to let go into beingness. So that would be where the shift in more recent years has been. And with that, um, there's a natural quality of love that comes with that awareness, when there's no doing at all. Yeah. So I hope, I don't know if that is what you wanted. Okay. thank you. Yeah. Yeah, hi there. Thank you. Somebody I overheard say this week, that's an observation, not a judgment. And that's a common phrase that you can hear sometimes in our language. I'm just curious to know, what really differentiates observation from judgment? because people do say things of that nature, is it the intention? Can you tell in yourself when you're, let's say, with somebody that you care about and they're doing something that, um, you know causes them suffering, could you tell the difference between noticing that and having it be an observation, oh, this behavior, this is is leading to this, you know? And having it be a judgment where you're not only noticing this is causing suffering, but that there is an aversive quality in your body about it, that this is wrong, it shouldn't be happening? I can definitely sense the body language among folks, especially if they're being critical of others. So sort of, you, you can tell in yourself the difference? Yes, and, and in myself too, when I've said things in the past. I mean, if they were judgmental, it was, there's a, a difference in the way that it feels, it resonates inside. Right, so, what your, your question is such a good one because it's a whole area of practice to start noticing the difference between simply observing something and what do we add on to the observation, whether it's about ourselves or another person. We might observe, you know, I might observe myself. Um, speeding around and not very open-hearted. So what if I just observe that and say okay, I'm speedy and my heart's kind of tight and numb versus observe that and saying, "And I'm, I'm supposed to be a spiritual teacher and I'm supposed to be feeling sensitive and tender when I'm having a conversation <laughs> with this person and instead I'm just trying to get it done so I can do you know. So if I add on I shouldn't be like this, that's the difference between observation and judgment. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Hi. Th- thank you for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. I come here about uh, once a month, and I keep thinking, gee, I really should uh, establish a practice at <laughs> <to> home." <help." laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's always a competition of things. Uh, you know, one of the chief things uh, being uh, work and sleep. Why... Might it be so
1: hard for me to start doing this uh, at home, and uh, what might help?
0: Ah. Uh. It's, it's a great one. Thank you for bringing that into the room. It's You know, in all the spiritual gatherings, that's the elephant in the room, is that there's some underlying assumption, well, if we're really serious about this stuff, we'll be practicing. And how many of us either aren't practicing or have a sense of it's not enough or I'm not really, really investing in it? Let's raise our hands. How many of you have some evaluation... That's judgment, not observation. Okay, yeah, OK. So here we are. And for those of you that um, are, are listening, that was most of the room that raised their hand. OK? Yeah, so it's really challenging. And I'll, I'll say what I think kind of explains it, but then I'll, the strategies that can work, which is that you know we've inherited a survival brain that um, has us geared to be vigilant and that um, has a default network that as soon as we start moving towards presence starts getting stirred up and looks for the future and looks to the past and tries to reconstruct a self-reality that gives us orientation because we feel unsafe and vulnerable and so on when we're just resting in meditation. So we've got a lot of conditioning to not choose to stop doing. We've got a lot of conditioning to not choose pausing. Because in those moments we are no longer using our false refuge, we're no longer protecting ourselves, we're no longer accomplishing things. All our strategies to feel better, you know, these substitute strategies we're hooked on, we have to put aside. So there's a lot of conditioning against it. And I think it takes a lot of support to do it. I think that one of the reasons that through history people have gathered spiritual people have gathered whether it's in monasteries or in you know tribes to to sing or dance or whatever it is they've gathered together because we have a deep intention for it and our shared our collective energy helps create a kind of gravitational field that makes it easier so it's easier to come on Wednesday night hey we're all here we're doing it together or to listen to a podcast where you sense there's some energy that you're plugging into than to stop our world and pause on our own. Does that that make sense? Yeah. So one approach is to find others to sit with. But that's, of course, not realistic if we want to have a daily practice. So, what I found worked for me was this. I I was kind of lucky because I, when I was 21 or 22, I moved into a spiritual community. So, for 10 years, every morning at 3.30, a group of, you know, 40, 50 people would gather and I got very into a habit, a very good habit. Then I moved out of the ashram and immediately had a baby. So I went from very conducive to very not conducive, like that, you know. So I found for a few months I was kind of wobbly on, on my practice and um, really missed it. And so I made a, a commitment that I've kept, and I, and I really invite you to make this commitment, which is to practice every day no matter what, okay? And there's a back door. Okay, there's, a, there's an out on this one. By practice, I mean formally create some space and time that you're dedicating to paying attention to presence. Okay, that's what I mean by practice, some formal time. It could be practice while you're walking slowly or walking fast, but you're intending presence. It could be practice while you're lying down. It could be practice in any posture. It could be practiced in, in movement, qigong or yoga. But the key thing is that it's every day, because nature likes rhythmic cycles, and there's a remembrance that starts occurring when every day we meet ourselves in that way. It's a gift to the soul. It's the most precious gift you can give is to create a pause each day where your intentions to come home to your own being. Now, the back door is that it doesn't matter how long, okay? So, for me, back to my story when I had an infant, um, sometimes, my, you know, my husband would be with, with Narayan and I would, you know, go back to having, you know, I usually sit for about 45 minutes or whatever, But there were many days that it just didn't happen. I was back to seeing clients and this and that. And and at the end of the day, I'd sit kind of, I'd be at the edge of my bed and I'd close my eyes and I'd take a few breaths for a few moments. And then I'd say, you know, may all beings be blessed, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free. Clunk. And that was it. That was my meditation. But it counted. (laughs) So I want to say that to you as an invitation that you can do that you can give yourself that gift. It's something, there's not one of us that can't do that. Because it's, it's, it can be short. But it's a little bit of a trick because once you do pause, there often is a part of you that says, wait a minute, just stay a bit. Just stay. Let's, let's make friends. Let's be in the moment. Let's connect. Or there's some curiosity that wants to say, well, what is it like right now, really, to be here? So, for me, I'd often say, okay, I'm just going to sit for five minutes today because I just have too much to do. And then I sit, and then I end up staying for longer. So that's one possibility you might experiment with. Thank you. Hi. Hey there. So I'm taking on a project that I've tried to do many times in the past successfully, but it's ended up not so successfully. And each time I sit down to do it and to try to succeed it, like I'm overwhelmed with feelings of doubts and I guess like flashbacks to how I've not done well. And I was wondering, how do I get past that? How can I use mindfulness to deal with, to try to make it a new start? My white whale is the GRE. I'm sorry? It's the GRE. Oh, my gosh. The GRE. Okay. (laughs) We know that one. So, uh, first of all, I want to thank you. It's an important question because there's not one of us that doesn't know what it's like to feel a sense of fear of failure. And, uh, and to have marked from the past the times that, that we didn't come through, whether it's to do with a relationship or a test or work or something, a diet, whatever it is. So we carry the weight of the past into the moment as evidence of what's not going to work. So the, the question I, I feel, I, I'm hearing from you is when that storyline is, is circulating in your, in your mind, how, is it, how can you use mindfulness with it? The first step is to pause enough to just fully acknowledge, okay, the failure story's back. You know, there's the voice in the brain saying how it's not, how I'm not going to do well. It's almost like you're taking a picture frame and putting it around it and saying, okay, so there's that. That, that story of failure. And feel in your body what it feels like, you know, when you listen to that. But get really awake to the fact that the story's going on. Because if you can name a story, if you can name a fear, it doesn't have as much control over you. And they they found, the shaman put it that way, they say, if you can name a fear, you basically have some freedom around it. And now in research studies, MRIs of the brain, as soon as you start naming what's happening, okay, fear thoughts, failure thoughts, um, there's a shift in where the brain's activated, the limbic system's not as activated. that's step one is to name it come into your body and then just start breathing long and slow just real conscious breaths with whatever you're feeling in your body just keep it it company and then offer yourself some prayer like may I I trust in my capacities after you've calmed it down some okay frame around the story come into the body breathe with it and then offer yourself a, a blessing and see how that goes for you Okay? Yeah, thank you. Does that make sense to you to do? Do you have a...? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So, I just want to really give you all my appreciation because part of, part of my thanks is to those who stood up, but also there's some sense of um, safety and, and good-heartedness that makes it possible for people to ask questions, and I, I could really feel it here. And it's in that spirit I'd like to close the evening, if you will, just to have a chance to um, come into the moment. I invite you to close your eyes. So much of what we've been exploring tonight are the different things that keep us from presence, whether it's judgment, fear of failure, sleepiness and how we come back home again. So just for these moments, feel your intention to be fully here. And notice if it's possible to relax something in your body and relax something in your heart so that you can rest more fully in that here-ness. just to take these moments to honor the wakefulness that's right here in your own being, the consciousness, that in you which wants to wake up to know truth, to love well, just to honor that. Offering whatever blessing you'd like inwardly right now, whatever resonates, whatever blessing you'd like to offer to your own heart right now. With sincerity, with care. And then just widening the attention to sense all those that are sitting here all those that may be listening and tuning in to this same field of presence, of care. And just sense that you can hold all of us in your heart. And that this shared heart space can spread out in all directions, everywhere. So that we sense all the insanity of the world, the political, the violence, the greed, and we also sense the potential, the heart potential, the goodness that can bring healing and peace to this world. May all beings everywhere discover and live from loving presence May there be peace on earth. May there be peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. The talk you just listened to has been freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation, learn more about my schedule, or about programs offered by the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, please visit either my website, which is tarabrock.com, or IMCW site, which is imcw.org. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.